Last week we finished our series that we were doing through the books of First and Second Thessalonians, and uh, we actually began that series, if you remember back, early in the beginning part of the year. And it's interesting, as you go through the course of a year, you, just know, you have no idea what a year is going to bring. And so this has been probably one of the more interesting years of my life, and certainly I think for all of us. And uh, as we finished up the series, as we were getting close to the end of that, I actually received a request from a member of the congregation who said this. She said, Pastor, in the midst of everything we're dealing with right now, one of the things that troubles me the most is the ways in which I see people interacting with one another. And she said, do you think at some point you'd be able to, to share something or, or teach on what Scripture says about how we as believers are called to interact and I, I, and I said, yeah, maybe at some point I'll do that. And then I was thinking as we finished up our series through Second Thessalonians, I thought, well, this would be probably the perfect time to be able to talk about something like that. As we're in between longer teaching sections, let's just talk about that subject for right now. And so you didn't know that you could make requests, right? It's like when you used to call into a radio station and you would call in and you'd say, hey, could you play my favorite song, right? So we're going to just be full service as a church from now on. And if you have a, a, a request... You just submit it and you never know. <laughs> On Sunday morning, you might get that message. So you've got to keep listening, though. Just keep listening, right? Fifth caller. Fifth caller gets the message of their choice. And so, Cheryl, I know you're on the live stream, so if today's message doesn't go well, you're the one that requested it, and I just called you out in front of everybody. So, all right. Well, this morning we're going to be in, in Romans chapter 15. So if you take your Bibles and turn there with me, Romans 15, if you're using the Bibles in front of you, it'll be on page 949. As we look at Romans chapter 15, we're going to be looking at the first 13 verses, and we're going to be talking about this idea of how can we live at peace when we aren't on the same page? How can we live at peace when we aren't on the same page? I think it's a relevant topic for any era, but it's certainly relevant for right now. Again, Romans 15, starting with verse 1. Follow along with me as I read. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God." For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol Him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the, will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's pray together. 
Lord, thank you so much for the privilege to be able to look at your word together this morning as you teach us about what it looks like for us to attempt to be on the same page and attempt to get along and attempt to live at peace with one another, living in harmony as brothers and sisters in your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we know that for that to truly be facilitated, that's something that that only you can orchestrate in the purest sense. So Lord, we pray that you would do that work within us, and we pray that by your grace that you would help us to walk with you faithfully in the midst of all circumstances and in the midst of all contexts that you place us in. We commit our hearts to you now, and we pray that we'd be open to the teaching of your word this morning, and we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. So as much as you may like other people, and I hope you like other people because you're going to have to interact with them in one way or another, but one of the most difficult aspects of life is getting along with some of the people that the Lord chooses to bring into your life. And by the way, I don't believe that anyone I know or anyone you know in this life is on accident. I believe it's all intentional. I believe everything the Lord does is purposeful. So every relationship you have, every friendship, every neighbor, even the, pe- you know, the people that live in your neighborhood, the people you work with, I believe it's all on purpose and all part of a grand design and a grand plan that the Lord is orchestrating. And uh, sometimes getting along with the people that the Lord brings into your life can be a bit challenging. If you are in a people-centered vocation, you know this well. So if you're in some area of customer service, or if you own a small business, or if you're a teacher, or if you're a medical professional, if you're doing something as a task, something as a job, that on a day-to-day basis causes you to have to serve other people and meet their needs, you know just how challenging at times that could be. A friend of mine, his daughter recently just got a job in a restaurant, and I asked her, what's the experience been like for you? And she said, it's very challenging demanding or dealing with the demands of other people and their specific requests and trying to maintain a very happy face when I'm doing that. My family uh, took me out for dinner on Friday night, and uh, while we were there, one of the things we were very entertained by was another uh, customer in Red Robin who was complaining about his mayonnaise to the point where it was such a big deal to him, he practically walked into the kitchen to complain about it. He didn't go all the way in, but he almost went in. I thought, this guy is really having a mayonnaise issue. He didn't wake up that day thinking that was going to be part of his day. But I saw all the people trying to help him, all the people trying to accommodate him, get him the right mayonnaise, make sure that this guy is happy. It could be very challenging. Now, likewise, it would not surprise me to learn that there might be a few people in your life that you have decided to interact with as little as possible, because you're trying to keep the peace. Why is everybody smiling? Someone came to your mind, right? Living in harmony with others, even even our brothers and sisters in Christ, to be honest, can be a challenging task at times. It's not always challenging, but sometimes it can be challenging. And I believe that in the end, it requires us to depend on the Lord's power so that we could actually implement the kind of things that the Apostle Paul was saying to the church at Rome in the passage we just uh, read together. And as Paul wrote this letter to the church at Rome, I'm sure he was grateful for them. I'm sure he was grateful to see what the Lord was doing in their day-to-day lives. We also can tell when you look through that letter, and and if you remember a while back, we did an extensive study through the book of Romans, um, that I, I believe Paul was rejoicing over the growth that he saw in the church at Rome. But he was also concerned for their well-being and their ongoing spiritual development. He wanted them to continue to grow in their walk with Christ. He also wanted their relational development to begin to mature because it was a very diverse group of people in that church. It was very diverse in background and experience and, you would even say, ethnicity. 
And since this group of people was as diverse as it was, he wanted them to understand the key to living at harmony. He wanted them to understand the nature of what it looks like to actually live in peace. So what advice did the Holy Spirit give the Apostle Paul to, to instruct the church at Rome? That's what we want to ask today, because we want to look at that and say, all right, that's the same advice we're being called to follow. So what advice was he giving them that we can implement in the context that you and I live in, in the time in which we're called to live it out. So one of the things that Paul brings up right away in this portion of Scripture is this, bear with the failings of the weak. Bear with the failings of the weak. What did he mean by that? Well, let me reread the first three verses. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. You see the other-centeredness here, right? And he says, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now let me pause there for a moment. So over the course of your life, you're going to experience trials, and you're going to learn things that deepen your understanding and deepen your faith. Your faith is going to be stretched. That's part of our experience as believers on this earth. But as it's stretched, what ends up happening is our faith becomes stronger. A stretched faith, a worked faith, is a strong faith. And as you walk through difficult seasons with the help of Christ, you're going to realize that He could be trusted. You're going to realize that He can absolutely be relied on. And He's going to make you strong with the kind of strength that only He can supply. And as you become strong, you're going to interact with other believers. And during that interaction, you're going to realize that we're all at different seasons of growth. So some believers you'll interact with, maybe they've been on this journey with Christ for many years, just like you are. And, um, and then you're going to interact with others, and you're going to discover that they are much earlier in their journey with Christ than you are. And if that's the case, don't forget that you once were where they are. It's just like the process of dealing with when you're raising children. So often do you have to coach yourself through that and say, okay, you know what? I did the same thing. I did the same thing. I need to walk them through this. I did the same exact thing. I remember doing that. I need to call that memory back to my mind so that I can show some grace and some patience in this moment. Well, the same thing happens when we interact with our brothers and sisters in Christ because we're all at different spots of maturity on this journey. Some are early in the journey. Some have grown quite mature, but I'll tell you what, you could tell a lot about somebody's maturity by how they treat someone they disagree with. I've heard people tell me that they're so mature in their faith in Christ, but then you disagree with them and you discover that maturity is skin deep, brother. And so if the Lord's taken years to make you strong, if he's been taking years and years, maybe some of you would say he's taken decades to make me strong. So if he's invested in you over all that stretch of time, Honor that investment by bearing with the failings of those who might not be at the spot of maturity or the spot of strength that you're yet at. And keep in mind that, that in the midst of all of this, you may at times be hurt by the failings of others. That's not an uncommon thing. I think that's part of what Paul was trying to address here as he was speaking to this church at Rome who had a mix of people who were from a Gentile background and a mix of people who were from a Jewish background, and they're trying to get along together in this one church, and they're trying to worship Jesus Christ together regardless of their background, 
They have all different customs and all different traditions that they were used to for many, many decades prior. And they were struggling to try and find some sort of synthesis for all of this. And so sometimes people were inconvenienced and sometimes they were embarrassed. And you and I will face that same sort of thing. Sometimes you're going to be inconvenienced as you deal with other people. Sometimes you're going to be embarrassed as you deal with other people. But that's not an excuse to abandon them. Rather, our goal as believers, as Paul outlines this for us here in this passage, is to please one another, to please them, and to build one another up because that's exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. So we're to have that others-centered mindset. And here in Romans chapter 15, verse 3, you have Paul speaking of what Jesus did for us, and he even reminds us of a specific example of this. He says, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Meaning, you know, these reproaches fell on Christ. So what's this verse trying to tell us? Mankind reproached the Father, and those words of reproach fell upon Jesus Christ, who is God the Son. And in part, this scripture is telling us that Jesus came to this earth to put up with the effect of problems that he did not cause. We sinned, and he bore the consequences of our sin upon himself. So if Jesus can do that for you, and if Jesus can do that for me, is it too much of him to also expect us to bear with one another's failings? Because the scripture here is telling us that these reproaches, the, the context, the idea here is that the reproaches that are being spoken of here, we're all guilty of. We're guilty of of reproaching and rebelling against God Almighty. And if Jesus Christ could come to this earth and put up with our failings and forgive our sin, is it too much of Him to ask us to do the same for one another? It's not too much of Him. In fact, that's exactly what He should be asking us to do because He's already shown us how it's done and He's told us that the same power that's within him is within us as we trust in him. So he's empowered us to do the thing that he's asked us to do. And I think right now we're living in the midst of the perfect environment for this to be tested. Wouldn't you think? I mean, this is the perfect environment for this to be tested. So during this season of uncharted territory, I have to say I hear many opinions shared daily. And by the way, sometimes I'm the one doing the sharing, you know? I have a lot of opinions. Someday I should do a sermon just on all my opinions and see if I could convince you to buy into my opinions. I will not do that sermon because I believe in job security, and I don't want the world to know all of these crazy things that go through my head. But I hear all sorts of opinions on all sorts of subjects, stated daily, and we live in the information age, so you don't even have to look for that, right? We just put it out there, and we all see it, we all hear it, we all do it. So who's right? And who's wrong? Sometimes it just kind of depends on who you ask in the moment, right? I would contend that in many cases on some of the issues that we're wrestling with culturally today, there's some right on both sides and some wrong on both sides. And so we kind of wrestle with these things and we we try and make our valid points and we try and beef up our arguments and sometimes we do it in a nice way, but a lot of times I see people really sacrificing the love and the grace that they're supposed to be showing toward one another as they try and make those points. I think some people are more concerned with being right than blessing somebody else. And that can be a difficulty, and that's something that we as believers need to model for this culture, because I'm not surprised when I see that immaturity from the world. I expect that from the world. I don't expect someone that doesn't share our faith to act with, or to act with maturity about some of these things. I expect argumentation from someone who is not indwelled by the Holy Spirit. 
That doesn't surprise me. But for us as believers, we're to be salt and light in the midst of darkness. And we're being called to exhibit a more Christ-like heart as we interact with one another. And this is a perfect time to display that because this is the time when people are paying attention. And as we express our views and as we express our thoughts, we can do so honestly, but at the same time as we do so honestly, we could also do so with humility. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ came to this earth and displayed for us. We see the honesty, but we also see the humility. And in his case, he was 100% right all the time, and yet still demonstrated humility. Now, none of us can claim to be 100% right all of the time. I am up to 97%. My father is up to 99% in his own estimation, right? So he's left me a good example, and I'll work my way up to that, you know, but I'm not there yet, okay? He's got a couple decades on me. He's got like six or seven decades on me, right? Right. But the point being is we're growing. We're maturing. We want to exhibit the heart of Christ. So bear with the failings of the weak. Something else Paul talks about here in this portion of Scripture that I think is really useful to look at, and that says, let the Scriptures inform your hope. We're to be hopeful people, but the Scriptures inform that hope. So look at what it tells us in verses 4 through 7. It says, for whatever was written in former days was written for your instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony and by the way, as I, I'm going to reread that verse in just a second here, but Paul's basically saying this almost like he's saying this to them, but he, it's like he's praying out loud as he's reflecting on these things. He's saying, you know, Lord, intervene. So, you know, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. A while back, I was listening to an album that I had not listened to in a while. And uh, now and then I have moments. So music is one of the things that the Lord uses to minister to my heart in a lot of contexts. If I'm feeling anxious, if I'm feeling stressed, if I'm feeling angry, music has been something that the Lord has used to teach me and comfort me and edify me. And so I was listening to this particular album that I hadn't listened to in a long time. And as I was listening to, my, to the words of that album, I just kind of started reflecting on it. My grandmother always taught me when I was a child, she's like, always listen to the words because the, the singer is trying to tell you a story. So I was like, all right, what's the story here? And I realized as I was listening to the story being sung, it's like this music is very encouraging. I was feeling highly encouraged by what I was listening to. I liked what the artist was trying to say. And I was trying to think, I was, as I was looking at this and listening to this, I thought, why are her words encouraging me so much? And I think, I think a big part of why that particular artist's words were encouraging me and why I found them so encouraging was because this artist was conveying scriptural concepts, and her lyrics were all about how the Lord was deepening the nature of her hope in Him. And so as I was hearing her testify about her hope in the Lord, it was making me feel more hopeful. And I'm grateful that the Lord's given us access to His Word. I'm grateful there are people that teach His Word and sing His Word and all of that. But I'm grateful we have access to it. And in the verses we just read, particularly in verse 4, it tells us that the Word of God was given to us, it was written to us to instruct us, to encourage us, and to produce hope in our lives. And when you look throughout Scripture, what is Scripture continually trying to do? It's trying to point your heart and my heart to Jesus Christ, 
This world tells you there's all kinds of solutions, but then you look at what Scripture says, and Scripture says, no, there's only one ultimate solution, and it's Jesus. And the Scripture is trying to point your heart and my heart to Jesus Christ. The Scripture is giving you and I a glimpse of the heart and mind of God. The Scripture reveals the promises of God to us. And as our hope grows strong, and as we watch Him fulfill what He's assured us He will fulfill, we see our faith deepen. We see our faith strengthen. And as the Lord continues to foster that hope within your heart and within my heart, um, think about how He's doing it. He's fostering that hope in your heart. And then at the very same time, He's fostering that hope in my heart. And what ends up happening is, is we find ourselves growing in the same hope at the same time. And as we possess the same hope, what Paul's trying to illustrate here is he's talking about this, is we can enjoy harmony with one another because we're people who are living with the same hope. He's fostering hope in your heart. He's fostering that same hope in my heart. And he's doing it at the same time, and it produces harmony. So since we're living in the same hope, and since we're living in the same harmony, we can also be intentional about welcoming one another just as Christ has welcomed us. You see how this all works together as Paul's explaining it here in this passage? Consider for a moment just what this means. How has Christ welcomed us? We're supposed to welcome one another as Christ welcomed us. So how has Christ welcomed us? Well, when you look at what Scripture tells us, Scripture tells us that He welcomed us before we were cleaned up. And while we had nothing to offer Him, He took us as we were. And then the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit to live within us, to counsel us, to sanctify us. We came to Him with filthy hands, and He's graciously washed our filth away. We were presented well, now, at this point, we are presented before Him as a bride without any stain, without any wrinkle, without any blemish. That's how Scripture describes the work that Christ has done for us, as He's welcomed us into His presence and as He's cleansed us. Think about it, how, how it's said in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. There it says this, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. We were what? Helpless utterly helpless. There was nothing we could do to improve our condition. And at just the right time, Christ came and died for us sinners. That's how He's welcomed us into His presence. That's how He's welcomed us into His family. Scripture also tells us from using the illustration of marriage, it says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up His life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's Word. He did this to present her to Himself as a glorious church, without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. That's how the Lord looks at us. Now, you and I know that we don't get everything right. We get a lot of things wrong. But the Lord's already looking at you and looking at me for what He's going to do even in the future as He brings us into a glorified state. So He's already looking at you from a perspective of holiness and perfection because He sees what He's about to complete in your life. And he treats you that way already, even though you would look at it and you would say, wait a second, right now I'm still struggling. Right now I haven't been perfected. And it's like, yeah, in eternity you will be. And since the Lord's outside of time and he can already see that, he looks at that and he says, I already know the outcome of what I'm doing in your life. So I'm going to treat you like the ultimate outcome is today. 
because in his eyes it's already today. So he looks at you as one who is washed. He looks at you as one who is cleansed as you trust in Jesus Christ. You're washed, you're cleansed, you're forgiven, and you're welcomed. Isn't that one of the most amazing things about our relationship with God? That he looks at you and me, and he doesn't say, stay away from me, you're unclean. He looks at us as we trust in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and he says, you're cleansed, you are now you're welcome into my presence. He welcomes you into his presence. And again, that's significant. And since it's so significant, it's the same type of thing we're called to practice. We're called to ultimately look at one another and say, as I have been welcomed into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ, I welcome you into my life. And I will show you the love of Christ in that welcoming. And that's one of the things that produces peace and harmony among believers as we reflect upon the work that Jesus Christ has already accomplished in our lives. And so Paul was trying to illustrate this in this particular portion of Scripture. Again, he he elaborates a little bit further, and he helps us to understand, because he's pointing us all to Christ and showing how Christ is ultimately the one who produces harmony. Christ is ultimately the one who produces unity and peace. And so what he tells us here is that we need to understand that Christ is the confirmation of all of this. Christ is the confirmation of God's promises. Look at verse 8 down to verse 12. I love what it says here. It says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Let me pause there for a second. I'll read this whole section in just a moment. Keep in mind the background of the church at Rome that this was being written to. It's half Jewish, half Gentile. And so you have Paul here saying, Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So he's showing here how Christ came to the Jewish people to be their Messiah. And he says, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And he's saying, Christ also came for the Gentiles that they would glorify God as well. He came for the Jew. He came for the Gentile. What has he done? He's united us as one body, the church through our common faith in him. goes on to say, As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse, so that's a nickname for Christ, a reference to Christ based on earthly lineage. But it says, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Isn't that a beautiful collection of verses right there when you think about the historical ways that the Lord's been working throughout creation, but how Christ is the confirmation of all of this. Christ is the confirmation of God's promises. Some of you may have seen this online. Uh, I shared this a couple times this week. But a few days ago, my son Daniel bought his first car. Did anyone see that? And by the way, he'll be happy to show you that car after the worship service today. And some of you, I noticed that you did not make it into this building without him saying, hey, take a walk with me. Let me show you this car. I noticed that. The car's beautiful. We actually found it several days earlier. He's been saving up, by the way, for years for this thing. Years, working three jobs, saving, he's a good saver, he's been saving and saving and saving, and we found that, that car last weekend, but we could, the dealer wasn't open, he was away, and so we went out on Monday to Quakertown to go look at that car, and we were looking at that car, and we were like, what do you think? And uh, he really liked it, and it needed a couple things, and so we asked the dealer to take care of that, but we said, if, if, if you take care of that, we'll buy the car. 
And the dealer agreed to it and said, all right, I'll take care of it. Should be ready, maybe Wednesday, maybe Thursday, something like that. And in my mind, I thought probably Thursday. If someone says maybe Wednesday, maybe Thursday, they mean Thursday, right? And so we're like, hey, no problem. And so, again, Daniel had been looking forward to that car. By the way, I have his permission to share all this. I did ask him ahead of time. And he's been looking forward to that like I haven't seen him look forward to something ever. I don't remember him looking forward to anything like this ever. I mean, there's things he's been looking forward to, but this was the biggie. And all week he was asking me things like, and I think these are exact quotes, he can confirm or deny this, but he said, hey, Dad, did you hear back from the dealer? Not yet. I'll let you know. All right. And then he asked me a little while later, hey, you don't suppose they sold that car to somebody else after we left, did you? Like, they're not going to call us and tell us that car is gone, right? I was like, I don't think they would do that. I said, if they, do that, if they did that, I'd leave, I promise you, I'd leave them a terrible review online if they did that. He's like, all right. And then he, then he said to me, so do you think he'll actually call us on Thursday or do you think it's going to take longer? And he wanted to know, like, what would motivate this guy? To act? I was like, here, let me put your heart at rest. He wants your money. He wants your money. That will motivate him to call you. He wants that money. And, so, and it's like, that's a good point. And so we were joking about that. But when he finally picked up that car on Thursday, I told him, I said, Daniel, your joy over this is infectious. It's making me feel good because I'm so happy to see how happy you are with this thing. Even has a sunroof that, that works, you know? And I'm like, man, I don't have a sunroof in my car. Like, how's my son driving a better car than me, you know? And, uh, and I'm, I'm looking at this, and he was so happy. We finally picked up the car. He was overjoyed because, again, the thing he's been looking forward to really for years and saving up for for years, and then finally knew which car it was for the, for the bulk of the week, he finally had the keys. He finally had the ability to drive it. And every time I see him do anything with it, I can't help but smile because I'm I, like I'm taking pictures of it for him I, because I'm enjoying his joy as what he's been looking forward to is now his day-to-day reality. What does that have to do with anything about what we're looking at in this scripture? Believe it or not, I thought it was a perfect example for what we saw here. And that's why I wanted to share that with us. Imagine living in the Old Testament era. Because during that particular period of time, as you have hundreds of years taking place here during that era, God revealed that the day was going to come when he was going to send the Messiah. And he'd been telling this to Abraham, and he'd been telling this to Moses, and he'd been telling this to the Jewish patriarchs that are referenced here in Paul's words. And they were given hints, and they were given glimpses of Jesus Christ all throughout the course of their ministries. And they awaited eagerly the day of his arrival. And each generation wondered, is it going to be in my generation? Or will it be in my children's generation that the Messiah comes? He's coming. When is he coming? Is he going to come this year? Is he going to come next year? When is he coming? God also revealed to these men that when the Messiah came, even the Gentiles were going to place their trust in him. And they were going to glorify God for the mercy that he's shown humanity in sending his son, Jesus Christ. This was promised for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And then Jesus came. The day finally came. Jesus is the fulfillment of these long-standing promises and prophecies. And his arrival and his ministry are confirmation of God's truthfulness. He's the proof of the promises of God. He's the assurance of the accuracy of Scripture. And let me say this, and this is what the church at Rome was learning, and this is what we're learning as well. Our common faith in Jesus Christ the one that the patriarchs were hoping toward. Our common faith in Jesus Christ facilitates harmony among us. 
as we share that common faith. That facil- that's where the harmony is found. It's found in the common faith we have in Jesus Christ. And so Paul was trying to help this church that was struggling with unity to grasp that. One last thing he brings up to them, and this is where I want to finish today, and that's this. He shows us that we need to experience the fruit of genuine faith. If we're going to live at peace with one another, if we're going to live in harmony, if we're going to be united, we need to experience the fruit of genuine faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13 as we wrap up together. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. A while back, maybe a little over a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, actually, uh, I read this particular quote. Let me read the quote. It said this, where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. Think about that statement for just a second. Where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. I think that's a very powerful statement. It's actually something I see lived out in a variety of ways every single day. If you possess a genuine faith in Jesus Christ and you are confident that your future is secure in His hands, you will live with power in the here and now. You will live live with power right now if you are confident that your future is secure in His hands. Because you know that ultimately nothing's going to take that away from you. Your greatest hope is not in earthly things. Your greatest hope is something that cannot be changed by anything that happens on this earth. But if you don't have faith in Christ, you'll be painfully insecure about the future, and you'll be painfully insecure about the present as well. And in that insecurity, what you'll find is not, you won't find power there. You'll find weakness there. So let me ask this just as we wrap up today. As you approach each day of your life, do you approach these days as someone who has eyes of faith? Do you approach these days as one who has eyes of faith? Meaning, are you filled with joy? Are you filled with peace? Are you filled with power? Are you filled with hope as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live within you and work within your life? Can you see the work that they're doing within you? Let me say a question just on the reverse as well. If you're downcast and discouraged right now, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to just ask yourself a question. Which direction are your eyes looking? Which direction are your eyes looking? If you're downcast and discouraged and you feel like you can't shake it, which direction have your eyes been looking? And for how long have they been looking in that direction? Meaning, if you're looking down at the ground, just at this earth and the things of this earth, and if you're stuck in a defeated moment, and you can't see beyond a temporary circumstance, would you be willing to trade that for the kind of hope that the Apostle Paul is describing in this portion of Scripture? Because here he's telling us that the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace in believing. And if at this point your greatest faith has been in yourself or earthly leaders or your circumstances being perfectly fine all the time, that's going to let you down eventually, and it'll let you down hard. But if your greatest hope is ultimately found in Jesus Christ, you'll be able to see beyond every momentary circumstance, even the unpleasant ones. And you won't need to live your life with your eyes facing the ground all the time. 
You won't have to be looking at the ground, caught up in that discouragement, caught up in that despair, because you'll be able to see one step beyond it. And you'll see that hope that you have through Jesus. And I think that that's what Paul was trying to help the church to unite over, the common hope we have in Jesus Christ. Our Lord has called us to abound in hope. We have the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ living within us. And this is true for everyone who has come to faith in Jesus Christ. So knowing that we have a common Lord, a common history, a common joy, a common future, we can also experience the, the, the joy of living with a Spirit-empowered common harmony right now. And by the grace of God, we can live at peace with one another, even if we aren't always on the same page about the lesser issues. That's Paul's challenge to the church as the Holy Spirit inspired him to challenge them with these things, but I think that's a challenge that should resonate with us living in an era that we live in right now that's kind of known for its divisiveness. And we don't ever have to buy into it because our common hope is in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the hope that you give to us, for the joy that we have in you, for the love that we experience through your Son, Jesus Christ. For the fact that even though we live in the midst of a generation that feels a bit discombobulated in a sense, that we don't need to be shaken in that regard. Lord, we're grateful for the fact that through our hope in your Son, Jesus Christ, a hope that you're fostering within us at the same time, that because we share that common hope, we can share a common life and a common joy and common peace and harmony with one another. Lord, this is a great time for us to live this out. There's always, every, every moment we live is obviously a great time, but, but these things shine a little bit brighter in moments when they get tested. So Lord, we pray that as we're tested, that our minds would be just brought right back to this portion of Scripture. And that you would help us, first of all, as believers, to be united with one another. We don't have to just quabble with one another over lesser things. That stuff doesn't matter in eternity. And as we unite with one another and display the love of Christ to one another as it's been shown to us, we pray that that would serve as a model, a hopeful model, for this world that right now is lost in sin, lost in discouragement, lost in, in uh, selfishness lost in division. Lord, even though the world's embracing things that are unhealthy and unwise, we pray that we as believers would demonstrate the heart of Jesus Christ to this world so that they would understand and experience the hope that we anchor our hearts to. We're just so grateful for all of your blessings, and we're grateful for this reminder from your word today. And the fact that you demonstrated to us that there's a need for us to be thinking about this and talking about this in a fresh way, once again, based on what we see around us. So we pray that you would do that for us. We pray that this would be fresh on our hearts and minds and that you'd give us plenty of opportunities to live this out for one another, but also to display these things to our unbelieving friends and family and neighbors. We commit ourselves to you now. We commit your church to you now as well. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.